Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. Today's interview is with David Cicerelli. David is the co-founder and CEO of Voices.com, an online marketplace that connects business people with professional voiceover talent. The company was founded in 2005, and its customers range from small businesses to Fortune 500s, including NBC, Comcast, and Cisco. David bootstrapped the company and grew it from nothing into a multi-million dollar business. Are you looking to sell your online business or buy one to start your entrepreneurial journey? Discover exciting opportunities with Bupos.com. Bupos is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses and the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers. At Bupos.com, you can explore their exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. Bupos can offer pre-approved financing for recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding with no personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash Bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next deal. Is your team struggling with spreadsheets that can't keep up with your workflows? It's time to switch to Jotform Tables. Jotform Tables is an all-in-one workspace that lets you collect, organize, and manage data seamlessly. Not only can you create online forms to gather data directly in Jotform Tables, but it also serves as a powerful tool to manage and analyze the data collected from your existing Jotform forms. You can also import spreadsheets or enter information manually, and all your data is stored securely in one place. Jotform Tables makes collaboration a breeze. You can share your tables with a single click and work with your team in real time. Say goodbye to version control issues and hello to efficient teamwork. Get started with Jotform tables for free today at sasclub.io slash jotform. That's sasclub.io slash jotform. Hey there, SaaS founders. Are you looking to grow your B2B SaaS business to the first million in annual recurring revenue? I've got something that can help you. Introducing the SaaS Club newsletter, your weekly source of proven strategies, practical insights, and exclusive interviews with successful B2B SaaS founders who've been in your shoes and are ready to share what they've learned. Each week, you'll get a quick five-minute read delivered straight to your inbox full of growth tactics, lessons learned, and insider tips to help you tackle those early stage challenges and grow your business to seven figures and beyond. So what are you waiting for? Head over over to sasclub.io slash newsletter and join over 4,000 other SaaS founders and entrepreneurs who are already using these insights to grow their businesses. Subscribe to the SaaS Club newsletter today and get the support you need to keep moving forward on your SaaS journey. David, welcome to the show. Omar, thanks for uh, the invitation to be on the podcast today. Really excited to tell the story and hopefully uh, share some words of advice that might be helpful to others that are uh, either just starting a company or, as you mentioned, looking at scaling it up. Awesome. Now, I gave the audience a brief overview of your product and business, but mm. tell us a little bit more about yourself personally. Who is David when he's not working? Sure. Uh, well, I'm married uh, to my beautiful wife, Stephanie, who uh, happens to also be the co-founder of Voices. So we really have an interesting dynamic where we literally eat, breathe, sleep, and uh, dream about this business all the time. Um, and when we're not uh, using the kitchen table to double as a boardroom table, um, really, the uh, we spend all of our time with our kids. So we have four kids, a boy and three girls, and there are 11 all the way down to three. So it's a pretty active household. How long have you guys been married? Uh, we are just on 12 years. And, um, you know, it's we met each other very briefly. Um hit it off right away and got married, you know, uh, you know, within a year and uh, we've been happy ever since. So 12 years married, probably 10 years working together as co-founders. Yeah. That's a pretty solid marriage. <laughs> well, we don't know anything else. You know, sometimes people ask us, Oh, you know, are you ever thought about doing another company? And, and um, we've found, you know, whether about if it was about voices or um, really just anything in life that if we're both not in it together wholeheartedly, it can't be like, then, then it just, whatever the concept is, event, idea, it just doesn't seem to work out. And so we've learned that we absolutely need to be um, both engaged and, uh, you know, buy in to whatever um, pursuit that we're, uh, that we're following. And, and uh, that was kind of a lesson for us on, on more of a personal basis, but it ties directly into the company as well. 
Now, we like to kick things off with a success quote to better understand what drives and motivates our guests. Uh, what is one of your favorite quotes? Um, well, I think one that comes to mind, I mean, there's, there's a lot to choose from, certainly. Um, one that comes to mind is, uh, is actually a biblical uh, proverb, um, goes along the lines of trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, meaning you're not going to know everything yourself. Uh, but if you can acknowledge uh, him in all your ways, then he'll make your path straight. Meaning that, you know, recognize that, you know, God is out there, um, that he loves us and he will provide a path uh, forward. And so that, um, that I find that very um, inspiring and motivational that, um, that we're not in this alone. And um, that if we continue to forge ahead, that, uh, that that path tends to straighten out ahead of us. Great. Now, let's um, start by giving our listeners a better understanding of Voices.com. Can you talk a little bit about who your target customers are and what are the top pain points that you're trying to solve for them? Sure. So, on um, you know, because Voices is a what's called a two-sided marketplace or an online marketplace, um, we actually have two distinct groups of customers. Um, on one hand, you have the voice talent who might have a background in theater or acting or broadcast, and they're looking um, for a new way to monetize a skill set that they have by providing their voice and lending it to companies that need their scripts read. Uh, and so the voice talents are home studio-based uh, professionals that are looking to you know, acquire freelance voiceover work. Um, the other end of the spectrum would be those clients. Um, typically, they're creative producers, Homer, uh, video producers, um, marketing executives, and so forth that that have a project um, that involves maybe a video or some kind of audio uh, multimedia component where they need a script read. I mean, if you've ever heard a um, those those text to speech where you kind of just put in the text and it kind of you know, spits out the Siri-like, um, you know, voiceover, there's certain applications where that may be fine. But when you're a brand trying to, you know, educate, inform, or entertain your audience, um, they don't want to hear an, a computerized, auto-generated voice. They want a human speaking to their audience and somebody that actually has some, uh, some skill, um, acting skill often, to be able to bring that brand message to life. So, um, those video or creative producers would be really the, the target market for us. And um, we help them get their, their voiceovers done for whatever kind of project it is imaginable. What were you doing before you launched Voices.com? Well, um, it's really all I've ever known, to be honest with you. I, I went through school to uh, engineering school, learned how to become an audio engineer. Um, you know, the guy that sits in the recording booth and, uh, and uh, works those big mixing consoles. Uh, um, our school, actually, the lecture theater, looked like the bridge of the Starship Enterprise. It was like amazing the amount of equipment that was in there, and you learned how to operate all of it. And so when I graduated from school, I actually opened up a small recording studio um, in, in our hometown, and it was about maybe a year later, I got my name in the newspaper on my birthday of all days, and uh, I was like a full page um, write up, big photo and so forth. And what I didn't realize, though, is that um, um, Stephanie, my, my wife now um, that I had not yet met at the time, um, she was a classically trained singer. She would sing at weddings and funerals and special events. And um, her, her mom actually cut out this newspaper article and suggested that she get a demo CD done. And again, we're going back, you know, as you said, 12 years. Um, get a demo CD done so she could market her singing uh, business. And so Stephanie came in, uh, chaperoned uh, by her mom, and we hit it off. But it was because that same newspaper article that there were other small businesses in town that wanted a voiceover. They wanted a female voice. And so I gave Stephanie a call, and, and uh, we, we did a few of those voiceovers ourselves and put up a really primitive website um, that I'm pretty sure we just went to uh, the local library and uh, completely self-taught, uh, you know, took out, it was like web design or web design for dummies. Uh, we did it all in like Dreamweaver, you know, one of the earliest versions, just drag and drop and 
and built the first version of the website. And then next, like to promote our own business. And that, that's when um, other freelancers, I guess you could call them independent uh, talent, would contact us saying, hey, if you need somebody who speaks French or Spanish, or you need somebody who does character voices, can I be on your website? And so naturally we said yes. And that was really the, the beginning of it all. Um, we transitioned from kind of doing the production ourselves uh, into running this uh, platform, this marketplace that connects these two different customer groups together. So initially you were advertising as a business to provide sort of an end-to-end service where people would come into your uh, recording studio. Yes. Um, and then you sort of, as this thing sort of grew, you transitioned it into more of a marketplace. Right. And it's probably the same realization that a lot of the listeners have on the call today uh, on the podcast, which is that, you know, if you're in a services business, your time is, you know, the, the, the amount of revenue is basically in direct correlation to the amount of hours that there are in a day. And so to generate more revenue for your company, you either have to, you know, have more consultants or more service providers in-house um, or figure out how to productize what you're doing. And it was, in effect, that same logic was looking at this going, I'm billing out the recording studio, I think at 30 or not $50 an hour. Um, but there's only so many hours in the day. So there was a cap as to what we could, you know, what we could produce. So, you know, it was a number of ideas that all um, started gelling together and ultimately figuring out, okay, how do we, how do we create a product? Um, and it actually became, you know, initially a subscription-based product for the voice talent uh, where they they subscribe to the service um, to get access to these various job opportunities. How are people finding your website when you initially launched? Well, we, we initially launched very early in the Google AdWords days when you could buy traffic for as little as five and 10 cents um, to, to get a click. So we, we spent basically as much money as we possibly could to acquire the traffic um, and even back in the day, uh, as, as now, um, you know, Google is just such a powerhouse, uh, and it makes a lot of sense why, but, um, we created content articles, how to, we had the first blog in our industry. Um, Stephanie had, she had written a blog for over a year with no comments, no, you know, sharing, nobody mentioning anything, um, because blogs were new and people didn't really, it wasn't a forum. It was, you know, somebody putting something out there on the web. Um, but she blogged for a year without any feedback whatsoever from, from the readers. And so we created a, you know, there was just a treasure trove of articles. Um, but that we've been always, you know, I guess focused on the content side of it in order to tell um, not only our story, but to use, to basically, you know, educate rather than selling directly um, and, and leveraging Google to be able to do that. You know, Google has the input from everyone has, what do we ultimately type into Google? It's a, it's a question. It's a problem that we have and we're looking for Google to give us the magic answer. Um, maybe it's on the first page of Google, but, you know, they've got the answer somewhere. And so in order to feed that machine, you need to create content and publish it on your site um, and in order to be there when somebody's um, typing in that, uh, that's looking for a, uh, an answer to their problem. So c- content, I think, has been, um, been the key of it in terms of the organic side of Google and then uh, obviously spending as much as we possibly could on the, on the paid side with uh, the earliest days of Google AdWords. Okay, so you launched this basic website. But by the way, when you initially got the website up and running, were you already thinking um, of this? Um, I, I guess at what point did the idea of uh, what we know of as voices.com today, mm-hmm. when did that sort of really hit you that, okay, we're going to build an, uh, an online marketplace? Was that, you know, the day you launched the website? Was it a year down the road? When did that happen? Well, the very, very first version of the website was you know, as we mentioned, just uh, uh, promoting this small little studio I had. And um, 
we, you know, we, uh, Stephanie and I were, you know, married, had our first little one on the way and we're thinking, look, we can't, I can't keep running this studio, um, and still have, you know, a baby crying in the background as an example. We just, mm-hmm. you know, had enough foresight to realize that wouldn't be a good fit to have a garage band playing kind of 24 seven. Um, and so we, I ended up starting to sell some of the recording equipment and the best place to do that at the time was eBay. And that's where I started to really dive deep into, you know, the concept of a, of a marketplace, except, you know, obviously eBay being a marketplace for physical goods. I, you know, I started to think, well, couldn't, you know, what marketplaces are out there for services? And specifically one that had this kind of unique workflow. So the very first version of, um, you know, what's now voices.com was, you know, as I said, we, we literally hand coded it. It, There was no database. It was all static HTML pages, um, that we would literally pull down from the server, edit on our local machine, and then like, you know, (laughs) drop them back on the server and and make updates to people's profiles and and when a job posting came in by email um you know we you know we we would we would edit the you know create a page basically and and send that out so i, I think it was you know it was it was around the time where I realized okay look well we're not going to be in this recording studio business how do we still um transfer all of these skills that we have and our passion for the space really um into an online business and it was i'm not sure if there was necessarily like the you know i talk about there being kind of the aha moments um i guess probably i think it was when we realized there was we were you know this first version of the site that we had we probably had a dozen maybe two dozen people that we were promoting on there and we realized well rather than just listing them on our site completely free, well, what if we could charge them a subscription fee? Um, I think it was $49 for the year and help them get work. So in effect, becoming their online marketing service, if you will, and promoting the talent. And then building the marketplace was kind of fell out of that because we realized, well, we got to be doing something better than just creating a profile for people. We need to be getting them actual job opportunities. So uh, I see. So you were charging the voiceover talent a subscription fee. I, I missed that part. And exactly. Then, and then, so when you actually found them some work, were you taking a, a cut of whatever they made as well? Well, that didn't come until many years later. Um, in in this in the U.S., uh, um, there's a television show called Shark Tank. Um, in Canada, it's called Dragons Den. And I had the opportunity to audition. Um, to be on camera the, the, for the pilot season of Dragon's Den, um, which is basically like a pitch, you know, reality TV show um, for entrepreneurs. And I got invited to go to Toronto. I, I gave the pitch of a lifetime. And at the end of it, they said, oh, if it was a marketplace for psychics of all things, I think he was just being <laughs> ridiculous to me, to be honest with you. Um, then we'd be all over it. But, you know, voiceovers, we don't know if there's a real business there. Um, so they all ended up passing. But the reason I tell the story is because they said, well, look, you're charging the voice talent a subscription. That's great. Um, and it's kind of a nice, uh, it's a nice base, you know, sets a barrier to entry that you're getting semi-pros and professionals on your platform. But it's the clients, the, you know, ad agencies, you know, marketing executives, the Fortune 500s that have all the money and that are actually getting the most benefit from the service because you're saving them from going into a recording studio, you know, booking casting directors and audio engineers and so forth. You're saving them all the money. So you should be charging them something. And so um, that came out of being, you know, on <laughs> going through this uh, Dragon's Den experience uh, was the idea of, well, we really need to create a payment platform. That's the only way to, to solve this is that, um, when the when the client or buyer finds somebody that they want to work with, they can actually enter their credit card details through uh, through the website, and then we hold the funds in a neutral bank account, which is called uh, which is known as an escrow account, until the work is done. And then only once the work is done that we disperse the funds uh, to 
to the, to the voice talent for completing that project. And there's a 10% transaction fee in there for us. So that, that came, you know, probably four years after we started, it was realizing that, you know, that, that we're delivering tremendous value to those clients and that there needs to be a fee, um, in order for them to continue to use the service. Yeah. I think there's a really interesting lesson in that, that, you know, um, even in in these sort of moments of failure, I guess, when you, mm-hmm. you had expected to go on and sort of be able to get onto a TV show like Dragon's Den, yeah. Um, even even from that, there was this one moment of insight that really helped you to make an important pivot in your business. And I think you know people listening now may say, you know, duh, of course that's the way you should run a marketplace, but you know, that's because there are so many different types of marketplaces around today. I think 12 years ago, it was a very different situation or 10 years ago, I guess it was a very yep. different situation, right? I mean, Oh, absolutely. And there, there wasn't, you know, it was, it was, there wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, precedent to follow. Um, the best case I could, you know, look at were, um, big job websites and speaking of, you know, failures, you know, the biggest job websites, charge the businesses a per job posting fee. Um, and we tried that, but the fact is the voice talent are, you know, are subscribing to the service in, in, with the expectation that they're going to be given all these job opportunities that we don't promise. Um, and any marketplace shouldn't promise guaranteed work, but they should promise guaranteed opportunity, which is, yep, we're going to send you these opportunities and it's up to you to decide if you're a good fit for it and reply. And so this idea that we were charging, you know, initially the, these clients um, and actually everyone, it wasn't like, you know, select clients. We were charging all the clients. I think it was $20 for a job posting. Um, we went from in, in those days, I think we had 20 a day um, that we were getting free. And as soon as we switched to a paid only, we went down to five the next day. And then it was like three and then two. And then we're getting one every other day. And we're like, wow, we totally just killed off this business. And all the voice talent who were subscribing were going, hey, where are these 20 job postings that we were expecting? Um, You know, we're paying you this money to get us these opportunities. And so we quickly reversed course and um, made it free for um, the job posting, but only once you actually find somebody that you want to work with, then that's when the the transaction fee comes into place. Got it. Um, so it sounds like you were using AdWords as the primary way to uh, to market the business, and then the content that Stephanie was creating probably just sounds like it doesn't have much of a a payoff in the short term, but probably over the longer term, it started to help you with. SEO and, and generating more organic traffic. Um, yeah, exactly. And it's that, that's again, another one of those debates where everyone wants everything to happen right now and why, you know, especially if you're just starting up um, and that's where advertising can kind of expedite the process. But if you really want to be successful over the long run, then you need a, a solid foundation on the content side. I'm curious, if you were starting over today, would you still be looking at AdWords as a a marketing channel for for building your business? Or would you be looking at something something new that the way that maybe AdWords was new ten years ago? Well, um, if it were me, I would likely still use AdWords because it still continues to perform well for us. Um, I think it depends on the market um, of, you know, what, what, what problem is this uh, solving, um, this, you know, software product solving. And in that case, there might be a different venue, a different place there you want to advertise or, or promote. Um, an example would be maybe there's a software company that's built an amazing app for the Salesforce app exchange, right? It's an extension to the Salesforce platform. They have this app exchange, which are basically third-party developers that provide additional functionality um, for people who've already invested in Salesforce. 
And those are, again, often software as a service based companies. So the best place that you can be is on the app exchange, because that's where people go to find to to buy, you know, add ons for Salesforce. Maybe you want to advertise there. Um, You certainly want to build a maintain a great profile. Um, So I think it depends on on you know, what, where, you know, what market that you're ultimately serving. Um, but if it were me, I mean, we, we tend to try everything out, um, at least in the, in, you know, same thing with social media, we, you know, and I know it's a really big, broad category, but we, we tend to run, um, experiments and, you know, pilot campaigns in, in small order, just to see if we can get a lower cost per, um, acquisition. And if it's lower, then great. We're going to, you know, reinvest in that. Um, if it's not as good or disastrous, you know, after, you know, spending a couple hundred dollars or 500 or maybe even a thousand dollars, which in the grand scheme of things is pretty small, it's better to find that out with a, an intensive test that, and, and do it early on than, you know, kind of dabbling in it, you know, $30 here, $20 there. So that's... I'd rather know once and for all. Are you an entrepreneur looking to buy a profitable online business or a founder ready to sell? Bupas is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses. With their exclusive listings, as well as listings from other marketplaces, and the option to submit your own deal for approval, Bupas has you covered. Plus, they're the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers of recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding without personal guarantees and their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to start your entrepreneurial journey or sell your business at the right valuation with bupos.com. Yeah, let's talk about, um, uh, uh, I guess, <clears throat> excuse me, a, a test that you did um, in the early days, which turned out to be a pretty expensive lesson and mistake for you guys. Well, there's, um, one of the, one of the, you know, I can look back and call it the most, I can look back and call it the most hilarious test, uh, now. Um, but when we, again, going back to the earliest days of Stephanie and I being a, you know, a two person company, uh, we were looking for some type of working capital from a, a local bank. Um, and, uh, we obtained a loan for $30,000 and we figured, well, you know, we're, we're using this to scale up the company. Like, let's go big here. Let's try to develop a campaign. You know, we're in London, Ontario, which is about, you know, between Toronto and Detroit. So not necessarily a big geographic market, but we knew that all of our customers were in, you know, New York, you know, on Madison Avenue and in LA and Hollywood. So how do we, how do we reach out to them? And so we met with a local direct marketing company and they proposed that we send them the way to break through is to, uh, you know, if they're not finding you online, well, why don't we try to get their attention another way, which was to send these jumbo sized postcards in the mail and not send them, you know, one, but send them every two weeks for a total of six weeks. So they would be getting three postcards from us. So it'd be enough to, you know, really kind of catch their attention. Um, they designed the campaign. We had an iPod giveaway and we launched it. And, you know, I'm just expecting the phone to be rolling off, you know, ringing off the hook and, and, and the, the jobs to start rolling in through this, this website. And at the end of it, um, because when they put in the, uh, the, the promo code to enter to win this iPod, you know, I had figured I'd, I had the tracking system to find out, you know, how many people replied. And, you know, as the, the first couple of days, you know, nobody replying, nobody replying. And even all the way to the end, we had two people out of 15,000 people that actually replied and put in a promo code. Wow. So our cost per acquisition was, cost per lead was $15,000 a lead, which is just so staggering. And I just remember just the, the, I don't know if it was the regrets or just such a terrible feeling that we've wasted all of this money to basically get two names. Um, wow. And did, did either of those two people convert into a customer? 
No, neither of them did. But oh one of them, gosh. one of the, one of them did win the iPod because we had bought it already, and we just felt <laughs> morally obligated to give it away. So I remember sitting with Stephanie and like literally writing their name on a piece of paper and like putting it into a baseball cap and, and just drawing it out. And we're like, okay, I guess it's this guy's the winner. Let's give him a call. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's it's easy to look back and, and laugh at, the, at these stories. But um, there is, a, I think, a couple key lessons. Um, that, that we can all take away from this. The first one is, the first lesson is that it's, you really can't ask your customers, uh, or in this case, your prospects, to change channels midstream. Meaning, if you're trying to target your customer online to ultimately have a conversion online, then spend your money online. That's, you know, and if, you, if it's all about the app store and getting downloads of your app, will then advertise in a way that is going to encourage that kind of behavior. What we were doing and where we went wrong is that we were sending out postcards that were ending up in the mailbox. And then, you know, best case scenario, the prospect takes that postcard, walks over to their desk, it sits on their desk. And we were asking them to go from like physical paper-based experience to, oh, sure, uh, yeah, I've got all kinds of time. I'm going to boot up my web browser and, and type in this URL and enter this promo code. The, the, the hurdle was just way too huge, um, you know, w- which is why I think it was, you know, it could be a compelling offer, but I think the, 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 the hurdle was too huge to get somebody to transition from paper-based experience into, um, onto a website and then fill out a form. That was just way too much. Um, so that was a big lesson for us is they advertise on the same channel where you ultimately want that conversion to occur. The, the other one, uh, um, and just being it, maybe more of a, more of a, you know, I guess, a story about kind of turning lemons into lemonade, um, was that we had these great graphics that were designed for the postcard. Um, and it did create this kind of visual brand for us, you know, a color scheme, a language, you know, we got the copywriting was, you know, it cleared up our value proposition. So I, I, you know, there certainly was some value there, you know, all wasn't lost. Um, and we ended up using those graphics, which are these kind of cartoony, um, we call them voice guy and voice girl for lack of creativity, I think on our part, but these cartoony characters that, um, almost became like mascots, um, in the company. And it definitely solidified this brand identity for us, um, for years to come. So whenever something goes awry, I always try to figure out some way to turn this around. Um, so all was not lost. So the first year, um, as I understand, you guys didn't make a ton of revenue, right? No, the first year we did $18,000 in sales. And and so, what were you guys thinking by the end of the year? Were you, were you thinking um, about doing something else, or you know? Well, well, we we realized that if we could get through the first year, the second year, if we continued to grow at the same rate, we would benefit from all the renewals that were coming in. So it was more of a hey, let's just let's keep this thing going because every every month that we stay in business after that first year, um, you're going to get those, uh, because it was only an annual subscription when we first started. So we were just literally waiting for that first batch of renewals to come around. And we renewed, I think it was 85% uh, renewal rate. So it was pretty high. And um, so, you know, at that point, it kind of became, now, now there was almost two revenue streams, new customers coming in for the renewal, uh, um, sorry, for, to, to buy the subscription. And then the renewals from previous years. And that's, that's why these software as a service business models are really interesting and why, um, in a lot of ways, investors enjoy them uh, and, and are attracted to them so much because um, they really can, well, one, they're scalable, but they're also scalable not only on the technology front, but the, on the revenue front. Like it could, you, know, you can move some big numbers and you can get that moving very quickly um, based, based upon those renewals. Now, you know, I think anybody who's tried to do this knows that building any kind of online marketplace is a really difficult thing to do. Mm. From from your experience, what were you doing 
um, to try and build, um, you know, demand on both sides in terms of attracting talent and, and, mm-hmm. and finding customers because it's this chicken and egg situation. Um, you know, if there isn't enough work for these guys, why are they going to, you know, even be part of your business? And if you don't have enough talent, then why are people going to come and use your services? Um, so how did, how did you tackle this? And it doesn't sound like, you know, you had a lot of money to throw at this either. No, no. Um, it was completely organic, um, growth, uh, revenue funded, if you will. Right. And you're, you know, Omar, you I mean, you hit it on the head. I mean, it is, it is a, the, the, the classic chicken and egg problem. Um, and so we actually started with that group of, as I say, a dozen, maybe, maybe two dozen voice talent who had, you know, freely offered to list, you know, their name on our, on our recording studio site. And we invited them to join us on, uh, you know, on, uh, on the marketplace when we first got it going. And so we did start with, I guess, a, a base of call it 20, 25 voice talent, which was enough. You know, we had some males, some females, some younger talent, some older talent, you know, different geographies. It was enough diversity that when a client came and said, Hey, I'm looking for somebody to record that we could meet that request. And so when we, when we started, it was, um, Stephanie was always, and actually still is the voice talent advocate, if you will. Um, whereas I've always been on the client side. And so we kind of divided, uh, and, and conquered from that perspective um, that, you know, Hey, here, my role and responsibilities will take me up to this side of the marketplace. And she handled the other side. So I think in this, this is one of those examples where I think it was tremendously valuable to actually have a co-founder and a co-founder who's knowledgeable in the space. And she, she engaged the talent, you know, had all the calls produced, as I mentioned, the, the content and the blog posts. And, you know, I was calling all the companies. Um, and inviting them to, to bring their work online and to give it a sh- give us a shot. What was one of the biggest challenges that you guys faced when you started to to get traction and and you know start to see the business growing? Well, it sounds funny, um, but one of the biggest challenges that we faced was, um, I think it was like um, one of the biggest challenges we faced was brand recognition people didn't know who we were and they, you know, because we were struggling with uh, this previous name that we had and the name was interactivevoices.com. So kind of a mouthful. Um, Interactive voices was the URL. Um, People complained that it was too long, that uh, they didn't, you know, that they, uh, that they had to type it in, you know, our email addresses were too long. (laughs) Like it was, um, it was kind of silly. One person said that their fingers got tired from typing it out all the time. Um, and it, it actually, you know, just pigeonholed us, I think, into doing new media um, and interactive media, like at the time, voiceovers for these like flash animations and, um, you know, the earliest kind of web videos when there's this, when it's, it's just a huge market. And so I was on uh, this quest to change the domain name <clears throat> to rebrand. And I looked at, Vox.com and Voxy and Voxio and nothing was working. And I really realized that maybe rather than a name change, um, more of a name simplification would be better. What if we could just drop off the interactive part? And so we, uh, we, you know, did what probably many of, uh, many of you do, which is you type into Google or you do a who is lookup to find out, well, who owns this site? And it happened to be, um, Voices.com, you know, back in the day, happened to be a medical journal called Silencing the Critical Voices in Your Head. It was like this psychology paper and it hadn't been updated since the year 2000. And I figured, well, great, um, we might have a shot at actually acquiring this. And so, you know, doing the who is lookup, I realized, well, if I reach out to him, this owner, as David at interactivevoices.com, and they go to the website, you know, our website and realize, hey, there's the business here. Um, they'd probably increase the price or the asking price of what it would take to sell. So I thought the smarter approach would be to go through a a neutral party, a lawyer, in effect, and say, 
Um, so we asked, you know, a, a lawyer who happened to move into the building, um, you know, uh, literally across the hall from where our office, our little one, um, 10 square foot office was and, um, asked him, Hey, would he reach out and ask this fellow, is he going to sell his domain name? You know, if so, what price? And he comes back and says $50,000. We're like, Whoa, like good news is he's willing to sell the domain. Bad news is 50,000 is a lot of money. We totally didn't have the money um, to pull that off. But I did what most entrepreneurs do, which is you go and you ask, I think they call it nowadays, the three F's of fundraising. It's like friends, family, and fools, basically like anyone that's going to give you money. Right. And I just pitched my heart out and everyone said no. And including the banks, um, they didn't understand what we were trying to do. Um, and so and another important lesson there was to never take no for an answer. And speaking with the lawyer, he said, well, why don't we try to go back and negotiate with the fellow? And he, uh, he comes back and he says, you know, well, if we're going to make an offer, we got to come up with something. So we, we offered 30000 And I said, oh, Phil, our, our lawyer, I said, Phil, I don't have $30,000 sitting around. You know, we're kind of this scrappy startup. And he's like, well, can you break it up? What, what about doing some installments? I'm like, well, that's a good idea. Why don't we do this? We'll send him $5,000 every quarter for the next six quarters. So five times six, $30,000. That's our offer. And you know, and you know what, he went for the deal. So with $5,000, we're able to, you know, as kind of an upfront payment, we were able to obtain the the name voices.com. And then um, basically over the next weekend, we're like, this is amazing. We just transitioned um, the entire site to point over there. Uh, and, more or less, you know, reopened, if you will, um, under the voices.com banner, um, you know, the, you know, in, in a matter of, uh, in a matter of weeks. And from that point on, it really did solve that main challenge that we were faced with was a lack of credibility. It just sounded like we were just trying to be something on the, on the web. Um, whereas voices.com, uh, you know, or just even voices for sure, just, it has, uh, a certain cachet to it that it sounds like we've always been there, that we've been there since, you know, 1998. Um, but, uh, and, and because of that, we've been able to, um, obtain some great coverage from journalists, um, that are writing about the industry or covering technology in our industry. Um, they're, they're doing research on Google and, and if they are looking for a quote from an industry expert, and they come across Voices.com. Well, the, the you know the company sounds like it's been around and, and it would be knowledgeable. Um, you know, we, we've been able to uh, land some great uh, media opportunities because uh, that because it relates back to the the domain name. So that was a, both, I think, a challenge and and uh, a huge win, if I may say so. Yeah, I mean, getting a, a domain like that. I mean, I think in the early days of any business. Uh, you know, I think it, there's a danger of getting caught up um, and, you know, probably wasting too much time and money going after, you know, the perfect domain. Mm -hmm. But as I think as you guys did in terms of once you got traction, you see mm -hmm. that this business has has the opportunity to grow and, and become something even bigger, I think then it it clearly is a good opportunity for you to to go and sort of make your mark in a more impactful way. Um, you know, uh, one of our, our previous guests, uh, Peter Coppinger, who's the, uh, CEO and co-founder of, uh, Teamwork, uh, they're an Irish based company. Um, these guys actually spent almost $700,000 buying the teamwork.com domain. Wow. Uh, after a few years in business and, wow. um, um, and he felt like it paid for itself within the first year. Um, <laughs> but but they'd been in business for quite a while, right? So yeah. Um, so yeah, get, get the right domain, but get it at the right time. <laughs> it's exactly. It's it's all about the timing. Um, I mean, you because you're probably going to need to get that funding from somewhere. Um, and you know, I, I think you know, spending a hundred thousand dollars on your domain name, it's so it, it because it it doesn't just represent the quote unquote brand name. It represents the address of where your product is located. So I've always kind of viewed um, these domain names as like, you know, it's, it's, it's like a location on the web. And the shorter, tighter one, more memorable one that you can get, you know, with 
no funny spelling and no numbers in it and hyphens and so forth that um, the better off you're going to do in the long run. Yeah. So let, let's talk about the business today. Now, I mentioned earlier that you got, you're got you a multi-million dollar business. Do you guys uh, disclose revenue numbers? Uh, it's in the it's it's well over in the tens of millions. Let's put it that way. Wow. That that's and and you you pretty much bootstrapped this, but you did take some funding along the way, right? Yeah, it's um, the funding's been more on the debt side. Um, you know, I, we'd received um, some advice actually that is like, you know, that went along the lines. At least as far as I remember, it was if you can get debt then take the debt. Um, it's typically very difficult to obtain a loan, especially a loan of any kind of sizable nature um, without cash flow, because, you know, the, the bank wants to know that you can repay it. And so when we first, again, kind of going back, you know, to the early days, when we first started, we got a $15,000 loan. And I mentioned that $30,000 loan that we spend all in the postcards um, but we paid that off um, in the kind of ensuing years, and then we got a fifty thousand and a hundred thousand, and we just got you know loans and then paid them off and built up a track record with um, you know in effect two financial institutions that whole time, and it is definitely on a it, it is cheaper um, to to do. So we've pursued that, um, and in Canada there. Are very um, supportive of entrepreneurs and particularly technology entrepreneurs that if you're um, that there are you know incentives to um, borrow money at very very low uh, interest rates um, that are that are favorable almost you know you'd be crazy not to uh, not to pursue those and so that that's been the way that we've been able to grow um, and because of that, to date, Stephanie and I remain the two sole shareholders without any uh, without any venture capital um, backing. Oh, that's pretty impressive. Congratulations on that. Oh, th- thank you. It's one of. The, I mean, I I don't realize it's kind of like that, that it's meaningful until you speak to somebody that um, that mentions that that you know it's it's actually you know I know it's hard to build a company, but it's hard to really bootstrap a company um, to, to get it to. Um, at least, you know, somewhat of scale, uh, certainly not, um, you know, taking over the world by any, by any stretch, but at least, uh, uh, leading and transforming this one little slice of it, which is that of the, the voiceover business. All right, David, it's now time for our lightning round. I'm going to ask you a series of questions and I'd like you to answer them as quickly as possible. Are you ready? I will do my best. Great. What's the best piece of business advice that you ever received? Uh, to stay focused, what, not get distracted. You got to stay, stay focused. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? I really enjoyed, uh, a book called think and grow rich. Um, it's by Napoleon Hill. I think it was in 1934. I just love the old kind of old English language it has kind of a romantic quality about it. Um, and it's mostly about kind of getting your head in the right space um, and, and planning ahead that way mentally. And then, you know, obviously what do you need to do to kind of carry out and execute that on a day-to-day basis? But I've always found, I, I still listen to that. I have an audiobook version. I listen to it every, at least every year. What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur? Hmm. I would go with, um, I'd go with persistence, um, the ability to continue, basically the, stick to it, uh, you know, type attitude and following something through. So, you, you know, even if you're told no or not now, um, being creative and, and being persistent and following through until you get the outcome that you're really hoping for. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? Mine would be my Moleskin notebook, a little bit old school, but every Sunday evening I plan my week ahead and organize it and, you know, in list format. And I hand write that, um, mostly because I think to, I enjoy striking things off at the end of the week. <laughs> if you had to start over tomorrow, what type of business or market or problem would you go and tackle? Uh, I would have probably started, um, an app 
way earlier than we did. I think we were really slow on that one. Um, probably something in the same business, you know, music, arts, entertainment. It's, it's a business I really enjoy. I probably would have tried to scale up a lot faster. Uh, you know, we, we talked about the AdWords where they were five and 10 cents a piece. You know, if we, if we could buy all the traffic back then, that's something that I wish I could have done. What's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? Well, I once hitchhiked across Australia, um, and that was that was a tremendous amount of fun. I had a, a year long uh, visitors visa, and I had some time near the end before that expired. So I did a lot of hitchhiking in Australia. <laughs> and finally, what is one of your most important passions outside of your work? Oh, my kids. That one was easy. Spending time with the kids and <laughs> teaching them and listening to their amazing minds um, explore the world. I think that's my, my most important passion. Great answers. David, I want to thank you for joining me today and sharing your experiences and insights with our audience. And thank you for letting us get to know you a little better personally as well. Now, if folks want to find out more about Voices, they can go to Voices.com. And if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, email is the best way. Let's keep it easy. Um, David at Voices.com. Shoot me an email and I'm always happy to help. Awesome. David, thanks again. And I wish you continued success. Wonderful. Great show today. Thanks, Omar. Take care. Bye. Do you dream of owning a profitable online business or are you looking to sell yours? Bupos.com is the number one platform for entrepreneurs and founders alike. With Bupos, you can discover exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. As the first platform to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers, Bupos makes it easier than ever to acquire a recurring revenue business without personal guarantees. Their experienced M&A advisory team is dedicated to supporting you throughout the process, ensuring a smooth transaction. Don't miss out on this exciting opportunity. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next venture. Are you still wrestling with rigid spreadsheets that slow down your team? Jotform Tables is a solution you've been looking for. Jotform Tables combines the power of a spreadsheet with the flexibility of a database. You can collect your data through customizable online forms and Jotform Tables automatically organizes and stores all the data submitted through your Jotform forms. You can also import and export files and collaborate with your team effortlessly. All changes are synced in real time, so everyone is always on the same page. But Jotform Tables is more than just a spreadsheet alternative with conditional formatting, data visualization, and more than 250 integrations, it's a complete productivity platform for your team. You can even automate tasks and workflows to save time. Ready to centralize your data, boost your team's efficiency, and take your productivity to new heights? Sign up for free at sasclub.io slash jotform. That's sasclub.io slash jotform. Hey, are you struggling to grow your SaaS business? Well, you're not alone. But the good news is you don't have to settle for slow growth. The right tools can be a growth game changer. And that's where the SaaS toolkit comes in. This free guide cuts through the noise and shows you the 12 essential types of tools successful SaaS startups have used to get to seven figures and beyond. It gives you specific examples and makes practical recommendations to help you find the perfect growth tools for your needs. So stop feeling stuck. Visit thesastoolkit.com to download your free copy and unlock the growth potential you've been missing. That's the sastoolkit.com.